The Athletic. Starcast, the German football pod brought to you by The Athletic. Hello, it's day two since the sad demise of the Super League, but luckily the Bundesliga continues to be absolutely super. We'll bring you news of another round of pivotal matches, including Borussia Dortmund winning against Union to keep the Champions League hopes alive, Marco Royce having wobbly feet helped, and a great win for vastly improved minds that has them believing of survival and Werder Bremen fearing the worst. There's also time to talk to our panel of super experts Christoph Biermann and Kevin Hatchard about what the failed Super League means for the Bundesliga's model and fan involvement, as well as a look at the latest flick developments in Munich. All of this and more in Stahlcast. Hello dear listener, hello Christoph and hello Kevin. Before we start, a quick reminder that if you want to read more about the Bundesliga and indeed dozens and dozens of interesting football stories a day, don't forget you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £3.99 a month for six months. Go to theathletic.com slash starcastpod to sign up. So guys, I think before we have to start with the Bundesliga, there is a bit of a uh, you know, this other story that, you know, some people might or might not uh, have uh, been following closely. The Bundesliga only tangentially affected, but nevertheless, um, Tuesday night, Bayern were playing Bayer Leverkusen, but I think more people might have been tuning into the events uh, on Domino Day, as the Spiegel nicely put it in England. Kevin and Christoph, where were you when the Super League died? Uh, so I was in the midst of uh, Schalke's demise. So <laughs> while Schalke were tumbling out of what we would say is an actual Super League, uh, the uh, the of course. Uh, the Rogue League was collapsing uh, all around us. So uh, yes, that's where I was when the big events happened. And I I was on Twitter uh, following the uh, the events, and it was. Uh, I think if if you if you would like another conspiracy uh, theory about it, um, I, I think it was staged by Twitter because it was great advertisement uh, for, for them <laughs> to, to to follow uh, the the decline of of the uh, land of the super rich uh, super clubs super managers in real time there. So highly entertaining. Yeah. Uh, I agree with that, but on a on a slightly more serious note, um, Christoph, do you think that the German clubs were clever, or were they simply too afraid to get involved, or was it a bit of both? Maybe, maybe they weren't uh, seriously asked beforehand, so um, uh, probably the um, so so at least uh, that is true for Borussia Dortmund. Uh, they were pretty surprised uh, when things when the bomb exploded on on Sunday uh, evening so I don't know if if that's also true for for Bayern Munich my impression was uh, that both clubs were pretty clear in uh, what they were thinking about it the wider football world will now look at Germany in an even more positive and sympathetic way I think because there's a lot of talk about the 50 plus one rule a lot of people assuming that that was the major driver behind the clubs not getting involved and that was undoubtedly a big part of it and I think fans of other clubs in other countries are now looking and seeing well hang on can fans be more involved in our clubs can they stop this kind of thing happening again so I think 
on the most basic PR level, but probably a bit more than that. It's been a really good few days for German football in that way. What I found fascinating is um, that was something that wasn't happening in, in, in Germany, but that was actually happening in, in England. Uh, for for many years, football supporters in Germany had a bit the impression of the impression that uh, fans in England were yeah were in a way lame in expressing their needs and and more or less accepting everything that was uh, thrown at them. And uh, for me, the the days after the the two days after uh, Sunday, they they looked like as if English football supporters have been waken up from a a long sleep from hiding or whatever, and and now um, they seem to be or start to become a real uh, power within in football. And I think there and and I've heard it uh, there are uh, there. Already before that, there have been a lot of uh, international exchange between supporters' organizations, and and I think there there will be some context uh, over the next week and month, especially um, uh, towards um, uh, German fan organizations because uh, they're pretty well organized. I think one of the things to bear in mind as well is I think among many supporters there was a deep sense of shame that their clubs were involved in this. I mean, I'm a Liverpool fan. My dad went all over Europe following Liverpool, um, you know, in in those glory years. And there was a real sense that how can our club be involved in something so heinous and so greedy? And I think that drove a lot of this. It sparked a lot of that response. And it was quite heartening to see. What's going to be interesting now, of course, is the rebuilding of that relationship, if there can be a rebuilding of the relationship between those clubs and the fans. Yeah, just to take it back to, to German football for a second, Gustav, as you said, there is a sense of of awakening maybe in in England. Is there any positive momentum that can influence things in Germany now or is this a, a, a victory for the status quo with people thinking this new reality was so bad, so dystopian, we're better off with the way things are and let's not think too much about change. Where do you see this going? I think uh, supporters now, and, and not only supporters, but also um, uh, uh, clubs all over Europe will rethink, for example, uh, what they have voted for at the UEFA Congress concerning the Champions Leagues, for example. Because, I mean, uh, the Super League would be worse, but it's still bad. Um, I think it's, it's, it's not a... It, it's, I mean, the, the, the whole international football, the distribution of money and, and so on, that is... Um, the whole system is... Uh, broken is maybe the wrong expression, but it's it's not working properly. It's so obvious, but nobody knows how to get out of there. But what I found interesting in the um, whole concept, I mean, you were saying last time uh, the clubs were hitting the nuclear button, and uh, and and. And, and what they provided that was not uh, nuclear rockets. That was like, uh, <laughs> I mean, that was a, it was not even a big bang. It was like, and then it all collapsed. So for 30 years now, the Blake clubs have been uh, intimidating the rest uh, with, with the idea 
So if we if we don't get what we want, we, f- we form a super league. Now they did, and it failed after after two days, and and so they 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 they, they lost their uh, main threat. They are they made their main weapon, and I think that is um, leading to will lead to a very interesting power shift uh, in football, and and maybe will open a lot of ways to rethink and and remodel p- uh, probably uh, what's going on. I think the hope is that it will lead to a more egalitarian landscape. Of course, in the Bundesliga we have egalitarian structures but the reality is also distorted because of Bayern's dominance. Here the discussion has been very much about a softening of 50 plus 1. Now in England it seems to be that 50 plus 1 is gaining a lot of fans. Kevin do you think that the Bundesliga can just be sort of encouraged by this event and think that you know we actually our way is is, is right Or do they have to address the competitive imbalance and actually do something that would go the other way, which is to open themselves up to outside investment? I think the notion of 50 plus one will have been strengthened by these events. I think there'll be more fear now about moving away from that model. I think there is a competitive imbalance. I don't think there's a question about that. I mean, Bayern are about to win their ninth straight Bundesliga but that is a competitive imbalance in a way that they have organically created with their success I know there'll be you know there's a lot of factors going in there but it's not as if they've had the finances artificially inflated uh, by an external source but I think what is important to remember is before the pandemic and that seems like 10,000 years ago now but before the pandemic there was a, an argument, a serious argument coming about the role of ultras and the role of fans in their clubs and whether ultras were a kind of nefarious mischief-making force or whether they were groups that had to be respected and had to be included in the decision-making process. And there's still a lot of anger uh, about that amongst fans. There's still a lot of feeling that fans aren't included enough in decision-making processes and and they're not listened to about commercialization and I think those arguments are still to be had and it's worth bearing in mind that while the return of the Bundesliga to action during the pandemic has been a, a success in the sense that the games have carried on we've only recently had the first cases of top-level games being postponed There were plenty of fans, plenty of people in Germany who didn't feel it was the right thing to do, who didn't want that to come back in the way that it did without fans. And so uh, as as much as I think 50 plus one has been strengthened and as much as I think it's been a good few days for German football in the way it's perceived, there are still some serious conversations that have to be had. The uh, imbalance uh, that we have in the Bundesliga, I think, is um, uh, as in, in uh, most of the other leagues, comes from international football. I mean, there is a, yes, you could maybe better distribute the, revenues of the Bundesliga themselves um, and there has been a discussion before for the uh, most recent TV contract and there has been a tiny shift but the the problem is is uh, international football and that's true for for everywhere I mean the the riches don't uh, mainly come from uh, from international football so if you want to address this imbalance you have to 
to find a solution there and and it's it's obvious that it's uh, hugely complicated Christoph, you mentioned the uh, competitive imbalance that comes from Champions League money of course Bayern always there unlike some other um, peers of theirs who um, come in and out of the competition and don't get to amass the same sort of regular income from UEFA one good example or perhaps bad example from their point of view is Borussia Dortmund because they are still in danger of missing out on a Champions League this year. Uh, they did win against Union Berlin 2-0 courtesy of a clever penalty. Uh, um, how should we put Soft? this nicely? I see I see uh, Kevin making diving uh, <laughs> motions. It doesn't really translate into a pod very well. Um, soft, yeah. Um, it was a it wasn't a penalty. But anyway, um, Dortmund with that 2-0 win, Christoph now looking at basically four finals. Is that fair to say for them to make the top four? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they will be playing Wolfsburg. Uh, they will be playing at Wolfsburg um, at the weekend and they have to win it. That's it. And and they very likely have to, to win the rest of the games as as well including a one against Leipzig. So it's a, it's a, it's a complicated situation for them, but I, I, I think they still have a chance. And the situation could have been even more complicated if the Super League had gone forward and maybe they would have to come back into the Champions League <laughs> with the Super League teams being kicked out. I mean, we're laughing about yeah, this, but yeah, yeah, yeah. a few Dortmund officials were not sure if they maybe have to scramble and, and play Porto. Um, next week uh, that has not come to pass so they can now concentrate on the league uh, and they'll have to play a little bit better um, Kevin are you encouraged by the way that they found you know a way to win or do we again see a slightly unconvincing Dortmund especially a Dortmund that will worry about playing without Mats Hummels um, at Vos because he's suspended and we know that they're not exactly blessed with many seasoned, experienced professionals who can also lead the rest of the team. Is there still a big issue there? Yeah, I I think they're on the edge in every game. I think you look at that with the Stuttgart win they had. They gave away that awful late equaliser in that game, but managed through Ansgar Knauf to win the game. Even in this match against Union, you'd look at the expected goals and go, wow, it, this should have been four or five nil. You actually look at the game and that wasn't the case per se because... Marcus Ingvartsen hits the bar really early on from some Dortmund sloppiness. If that goes in, Union have something to protect and it's a totally different game. Even at, at 1-0, Max Kruse hits a free kick, which is brilliantly tipped onto the post by Marvin Hitz. Again, that's a game-changing moment. So while you would look at the results and say, ah, there's been a resurgence, there's some consistency, I just feel there's still that fragility and they're still making mistakes. And against a team like Wolfsburg, if you make those kinds of mistakes, they can punish you. But it's big for Wolfsburg as well because they still, I feel, have this little inferiority complex against the likes of Dortmund and Bayern, where it doesn't matter how well they're doing in general, they just don't seem to be able to get over the line in those big games. So that's a, a huge match for both clubs. Yeah, it absolutely is. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, 
courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Um, Wolfsburg, who you've both mentioned, they are uh, still in third. Uh, after a very good win at Stuttgart, 3-1, that gives them a five-point cushion uh, to Dortmund. And Frankfurt recovered from their defeat at the weekend with a patient, I guess is the best word, um, and pragmatic 2-0 win over over Augsburg. Uh, the surprise, though, at the top was not so much Bayern beating Leverkusen 2-0. That's the sort of result we've come to expect. But actually Leipzig um, having another disappointing result. 2-1, they lost at Köln, uh, Christoph. Is this A, a case of Leipzig sort of running out of steam because they know they're not going to win the league? They know they've qualified for the Champions League, more or less. And maybe the intensity isn't quite there. Or was it just one of those crazy games where they did enough to win the game, but somehow Köln fluked it? I think it was was more of playing the, the same song that we've been singing all season, um, that they are not using their, their chances well enough. And that was exactly what Julian Nagelsmann was saying afterwards. He was saying, I don't complain about the attitude of my players. I don't uh, uh, complain about how we played. But I, 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 he, he complains about the, the chance conversion. And I mean, they, they don't have a, a striker that you would need to win the championship in, in, in Germany to win the title. And, um, and then you, you, here and there, you have this kind of, of, of games like they had in, in Cologne, where um, it's simply not enough uh, what, what, what they're creating and what they're converting. And uh, on on the other side, uh, uh, Cologne was was uh, further improved. I mean, that's also important to to say. I mean, it's so funny they found a new striker, Jonas Hector. All of a sudden, <laughs> the 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 wise old man of FC Cologne, um, the uh, the former German international, the uh, whatever the the he he is the most important uh, player of Cologne, but. Um, but to to see him as uh, uh, the the striker of the team uh, came as a real surprise and uh, yeah a, a very clever move by Friedhelm Funke. I was so pleased for him as well because it was such a contrast to the pictures we saw after they lost to Mainz because he was absolutely crestfallen. They conceded a late, late goal, had lost a massive game, and you had Jonas Hector sat down by the advertising hoardings, um, you know, his eyes glazed, and, and he thought, here we go again, because this is a guy that's already been down to Bundesliga 2 with Köln, stayed with them, got them back up, and he's thinking, here we go again. So I thought it was great uh, that he was the hero of this win. Yeah, and Köln with that win have given themselves a real chance of survival after all. Um, they're now joint on points with Hertha, but Hertha, of course, two go- two games still to play, uh, still in quarantine. And Bielefeld are four points clear in 15th following a 1-0 win over Schalke. Now we have to talk about this. It almost feels cruel to talk about Schalke on this pod, but... Less relevant, the fact that they were beaten. Yes, of course, relevant for Bielefeld to look as if they might survive. But there were some ugly scenes after Schalke's defeat and after Schalke's relegation was mathematically confirmed. Uh, The players were confronted. 
uh, by an angry mob. There were uh, some punches and kicks being thrown. Some of them were followed to their homes. Some of them didn't sleep at home out of fear. Um, things feel as if they're a little bit out of control. Christoph, do you sense that this is just the beginning of that kind of anger and frustration that has been building? Or was it just one crazy night that some idiots felt that they had to vent and this is now going to go and die away? I think most of the Schalke supporters were shocked after this. And, and I think this will there will be a big discussion within the, the Schalke supporters if that's how um, the club wants to, to, or the supporters of the clubs want to be seen. So I think it it's over with this. But there have been similar stories before that. I mean, um, some weeks ago, when Jochen Schneider was still in charge at, at Schalke before the match, I think, against Frankfurt or so, the a group of fans came to the hotel uh, on the match day and were kind of intimidating uh, the, the players. And, um, and, and that was not like young kids, but, but they were, were the uh, grown-up hooligans in their 40s and 50s who had been fighting on, on German terraces for, for, for decades. So, so guys, where, you, uh, where you're standing and thinking, hopefully they go away soon. And, um, and how, how, how do you want to play football under these, uh, under these circumstances? I, I think most of the people, uh, players just, just w would like to leave and, and never uh, come back. Not only is it completely unacceptable and idiotic, as you quite rightly said, it's totally counterproductive. Christoph's absolutely right, because think of some of the young guys who they want to build this Bundesliga 2 team around. How will this affect them? psychologically because do they really want these young players to be playing with fear thinking oh what happens if we lose what happens if we make a terrible start in Bundesliga 2 are we going to be you know attacked is this what's going to happen uh, there's no guarantee that all of these players um, the senior ones the more experienced ones are going to leave there's no guarantee they'll be able to leave so this is a really toxic situation and I hope that Christoph's right and this does now go away. And I hope that the vast majority of Schalke fans who are not responsible for this, who would not do this, are able to get a grip of this and, and kind of placate the others because there's no way forward here. There's no way that you can intimidate players into winning games. I understand the fury. I understand the frustration. If you've got Dortmund fans and Essen fans letting off fireworks in glee because your team has gone down for the first time since 1988. You know, I get where that frustration and anger and fury comes from, but it cannot be channeled in that way. Yeah, I think we, we all agree with that. And it remains to be seen whether Schalke can find a more peaceful uh, and positive way to deal with this and maybe resurrect itself, reinvent itself in, in Bundesliga 2. You, you'd really hope so. And you'd hope that the financial problems that they will undoubtedly face will still make it possible to find enough resources to have a team that can go up again and doesn't have to be now a second division side for a few more years because that would, I think, make it very, very difficult for everybody involved. One team that looks as if they will not be a second division side, and that's not something we could have said 
a few months ago is Mainz. And Christoph, I have to hand it to you because about two months ago you said, I want to talk about Mainz. And I thought, why? <laughs> uh, but then you said, because of their new manager, uh, Bo Svensson, and because of all the things that they're doing. And you were right. I should have known uh, to trust you and your judgment. Um, they've been absolutely wonderful considering what they're working with. And uh, they found yet another win against Bremen, who are going exactly the opposite way, six defeats in a row. And now a realistic possibility of actually going down. Let's start with Mainz first. Should Bo Svensson seen as one of the, the best appointments of the season? Yeah, uh, so far. It's uh, one of uh, the big success stories in, in the Bundesliga this season. So it's um, in the second half of the season, they are the fifth best team. So if the season would have started now, we were talking about sensational Mainz, Mainz 05 being close to the Champions League. Can, can they make it to international football and, and so on? But, but the season isn't uh, over yet. And they have a, a terrible uh, program uh, before them. They they play um, against Bayern München, uh, Bayern München uh, uh, next weekend, and I think Bayern wants to wants to crown themselves as as champions uh, in in Mainz. Uh, so, so they they after Bayern they 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 playing uh, Frankfurt, Dortmund, and Wolfsburg, and uh, so there is still a, um, a chance that the the fairy tale. We would like to 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 tell at this very moment um, uh, becomes turns into another story. It's interesting that both Svensson's talked about him not being a magician, and I understand why he says that because he's conjured up this incredible survival push. But it's been about basics. It's been about effort. It's been about intensity with and without the ball. He's managed to get flair players like Jean-Paul Boetius into areas where they can actually affect the game. But you look at their defending. I mean, they have tightened up considerably. They've brought Stefan Bell, who is, uh, you know, somebody who's really strongly connected to the club, who played uh, with Svensson when Svensson was a Mainz player. And he's been the cornerstone of that defence. And you look at this win over Bremen, they weren't great, but they did look a threat on the counter. And at the back, so strong. St. Just, excellent. Bell heading everything away. Niakate's become a real leader for them at the back. And these are all quite basic things, but also excellent recruitment. Because between Martin Schmidt, the sporting director, and Christian Heidel, who's on the uh, the board, they've brought in guys like Danny Da Costa, Dominic Court, who weren't playing for Frankfurt, who felt really unloved and underused. They had a cause. They had something that they could really get their teeth into. And they've been excellent. We should mention that uh, Mainz still have a game in hand. And that's, of course, against Hertha, <laughs> which perhaps is slightly more winnable than the other four. Uh, but uh, Hertha, you, you never know what, what you're going to get. Bremen, though. Uh, Christoph Kofeld is someone that a lot of people have championed before he took the job. He was the next big thing. He was, he was sort of a Hanseatic version of Julian Nagelsmann. Were we wrong? Is he just working with players who are not good enough? What's going on there? And will they actually go down after all? I think what he 
what he managed to do was, uh, I mean, we, we uh, turning uh, Werder in a, a boring team, reliable, boring team. But now they are not reliable anymore. And, and that is... Um, so um, yeah, the the the, the anti momentum is 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 with them, and um, and uh, to be honest, I mean, I, it's a question I'm asking myself for quite a long time. If Florian Kofeld's interviews are actually better than what he does with his team, so he is brilliant when when you look at him and uh, listen to him in TV and when he's giving interviews to newspapers, it's it's always very intelligent, likable, and so on. But but when you look at at what what he managed to uh, at Bremen, uh, I have my doubts. Well, I think we all have our doubts, Kevin. I think there are sparks there. Sometimes you can see what he's trying to do. But I think the problem is a mix of things, really. The first thing is the players aren't quite good enough. But are they good enough to be out of that bottom three? Yes, absolutely. And so they shouldn't be where they are in the table. They shouldn't be on this run that they're on. Defensively, he did tighten them up. But I always feel like it's a team that's trying to play. It's a team that wants to open teams up. It wants to create chances. But they're just not quite good enough to play in the way he wants to play. I'd love to see him at a club that has better players just to see what he's capable of, just to see if that tactical acumen can translate into results. But they look so bereft of confidence. They didn't really create a decent chance in this game against Mainz. In the opening half hour, it was Niklas Fulkrug who had the first big chance. There's a bit of bad fortune as well because they had a perfectly good equaliser, I think wrongly ruled out for a foul on the goalkeeper, Robin Sentner. I didn't feel that it was a foul on the goalkeeper. So there's an element of that. They've had some really tough games, especially at home. They've had to play uh, Leipzig and Bayern and Dortmund, or Dortmund away from home. So they have lost confidence. There's no question about that. I think they'll just about be okay. Uh, And I think they can draw upon their experience of last season, where they beat Köln on the final day to uh, get into the playoff and then they snuck through the playoffs. So I think that'll be important, that experience. But going forwards, Frank Bauman, the sporting director, has to do better in the market. He has to do better. Uh, and I think Kofeld knows there's a lot of room for improvement. But what I love is the way they have stuck by him. I do respect that because they genuinely feel he's the man to get them out of trouble. Well, you say that, but if he does go down, I don't think the, uh, the fans will share that love in that decision uh, necessarily so he's really up against it in the next next couple of weeks before we finish on our customary take on the latest Bayern soap opera uh, it wouldn't be a Steikast without the Hansi Flick Salihamidzic segment uh, I just want to share with you the um, probably best comment of the week which was by Stefan Leiner the Borussia Mönchengladbach fullback he was saying that Marco Rosa, the Gladbach coach, was very, very unhappy at halftime, even though Gladbach were 2-0 up against Hoffenheim, saying the performance really has to change. And then he said, well, the performance did change. It got worse because they lost 3-2, <laughs> conceding three goals in the second half. It's even funnier if you do it with an Austrian accent, but um, I'm not sure it would translate very well into English. Uh, that's Gladbach. And... Uh, I'll leave you with, with Bayern because Hansi Flick explained why he made that decision to go 
rogue, if you will, or to communicate his decision. He'd said that he had heard that rumors were going around and he was afraid that the news might break without before he has a chance to talk to his team. Whether that's enough to placate the buying bosses, I'm not so sure. But I wonder or I sense if perhaps the final word in the saga has not yet been spoken, especially if Bayern do not get Julian Nagelsmann or feel that they have a small chance. Um, Christoph, is it conceivable that a coach who wants to walk away can somehow be persuaded to stay after all, just in, in principle? Uh, in principle, yes, but um, the situation doesn't look like this. So I, I would be massively uh, su surprised. I think everybody now has the feeling that uh, Joshua Kimmich, for example, was saying that he is, is hoping that Flick becomes a, a next national coach so that he can work with him together there. So, yeah, that would be a fantastic twist in this uh, saga. But I, I actually don't expect it. I think it's a group of players that we've seen feels it has to have a really strong bond with the coach I think that's still there but if they know that really he wants to go I think that does change the dynamic because they do expect so much of their coaches and if they know he wants to stop that journey and he wants to move on it's not quite as strong as it is it doesn't change the fact by the way that all of that tension between him and Hassan Salahamidzic the sporting director is still there all of the arguments that led to that tension are still there do Bayern want Flick to have an active role in transfers? No, probably not. But that's something that he wants. That's something he feels he should have a say or he should have some input into those decisions. And I'm not sure Bayern will want him to have that. So it's a very, you know, Bayern do not generally lose people they want to keep. We've seen them now lose Thiago. We've seen them now lose David Alaba. And we're now seeing them potentially lose Hansi Flick. So it's an unusual situation for them. But now that Flick has broken cover and said that he wants to go, I don't see how that situation can be turned back around. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It doesn't look very probable. I'm just wondering if the door isn't perhaps uh, wholly shut on this affair, especially because I'm getting word that a lot of players are unhappy with the situation. They're unhappy that they're losing Hansi Flick. And they don't blame him for walking away. They blame other people above him for kicking him out. And I think if there is enough backlash in Bayern club that listen to their players, to their big players historically, then maybe, maybe it's not a foregone conclusion. But yes, I would still sort of rate the chances of Flick staying maybe at 5%, not higher than that. But I don't think it's wholly impossible. Right. Uh, I'm sure there'll be new developments on that front by the time we'll... Speak to you again on Monday. Uh, please, um, please come back then. I hope there's not going to be another league started uh, by that stage. And uh, we'll be giving you all the news of the Bundesliga uh, after the next round of games, which will be very pivotal. And of course, Dortmund against Wolfsburg is the key, key game. The athletic. Um, thank you, Christoph. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, listener. Be safe and we'll speak to you soon.